stronger woman stands up for others too. Hello witches, women, and other magical listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. Of Witches and Women is a Her Story podcast in which I explore the lives and histories of women forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented. This season of the podcast includes interviews with amazing women in medicine today, as well as the stories of women who made medicine in the beginning and who have improved it all along the way. Women healers have historically been some of the first to be labeled as witches and the first to be oppressed, tortured, killed, and used for their knowledge by men in power. This season, we are honoring our magical legacy as caregivers, life bringers, and healers, not only through stories on the podcast, but also through shorter, lesser-known stories in the Oracle newsletter. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and of course, subscribe to the Oracle at ofwitchesandwomen.com today. If we aren't already connected on social media, follow Of Witches and Women on Instagram, Twitter, or even Facebook, and if you'd like a shout-out on the pod, DM me your best charm or spell. This season of the Of Witches and Women podcast is sponsored by Lua Ray Clothing. Lua Ray Clothing is a women-owned and operated small business. Check out their online boutique stocked with high-quality women's clothing that is flattering, comfortable, current, and inclusive by visiting luarae.com. That's L-U-A-R-A-E.com today. When you shop their seasonal collection, use the promo code WITCHES15 at checkout for a 15% discount. If you see something you love, order now because their collections sell out really fast and you, my lucky witches, get an exclusive discount. Today, we have the splendid opportunity to hear from Dr. Valencia P. Walker, a neonatologist, professor, triathlete, and former president of the Association of Black Women Physicians. Dr. Walker has written journal articles and been featured in news for her excellent work, both as a physician and as an advocate, which is Dr. Walker. So Dr. Walker, you started out wanting to study archeology span in school. Uh, before switching to medicine. And I've seen you mention in other articles that you absolutely loved your biology classes and that on top of that, your mom was really influential or helpful in your decision to choose medicine. Tell us about that sort of supportive mother-daughter relationship and how has that been a key factor in your life? So that's a wonderful question to start and probably one of my favorite things to discuss. But I want to just point out, in reality, I was always a daddy's girl. Awesome. So I had the best of both worlds and I absolutely recognize and acknowledge that privilege of having two parents that were incredibly supportive and really wanted me to value education 
and very much supported the idea that I loved school. I loved being a nerd, even though truthfully, yes, being a kid and being a nerd is hard and you get teased. All those things are true, but I think my ability to escape into this world of science and really understanding things and figuring things out and having just curiosity as parents you're like oh my gosh why did my child want to take this apart <laughs> but sure. understanding that natural curiosity and being very thoughtful and intentional about how to channel it in positive ways my parents were phenomenal both of my parents grew up very poor Mm -hmm. And there were absolutely limitations to their opportunities with education and career, but they were so intentional about for their children wanting to provide more. My mother now, we, she, I love the fact that she can see the things that I've accomplished and that she can enjoy them. And she often travels with me to the conferences where I speak and where I go. And she has her own fan club. I looked up one day on Twitter and I saw this picture of my mom with one of my mentees. And I'm like, how do you have your own like social media fans? Um, so it's been really phenomenal to have that over the years that they never wavered mm -hmm. in that encouragement and that support. And I know without a doubt, it made a difference for me. That's wonderful. It's very important. And I love that that's still happening today. Um, that you are able to travel with your mom, that she's still a big part of what you do. Uh, I know that I would not have done anything that I wanted to do in life really without parental support. So that's really great. Well, and I think the other thing to recognize too, though, is there's the family that you have and the family that you choose. Mm -hmm. And when we talk a lot about like mentors and people who really care about you and people who make it about more than just a grade, um, who really make it about ensuring that you are brave enough and bold enough to go after things that maybe don't always make sense. You know, Absolutely. Say you can't be what you can't see, mm -hmm. but then what about the people who dream bigger than their neighborhood, who know they want more out of life, who know they want to give more to life. Yeah. And I think it doesn't always have to be a parent. It can be a coach. It can be a teacher. Sometimes it's just the person that you end up riding the bus next to every day that you strike up a conversation and mm -hmm. you start to realize like, I have a bus mate, <laughs> you know? Yes. And it's something that you start to look forward to and you're like, okay, I'm catching the, you know, 702 on the 39 you know, mm -hmm. get to school or whatever. And you know that people, you know, I think what's important, especially now more than ever, is that light within you to really not be afraid to shine that because that's how you use that as a beacon to ideally attract positive people into your life that can also encourage and nurture you. I think, and I, and I started this ramble by saying, I think of, 
one of my mentors that I have now. Mm-hmm. And he, in a lot of ways, is like a second mom to me. Like our relationship goes beyond just the traditional mentor mentee. Like she checks on me if I if I haven't like checked in. She's like, "Are you okay? Are you mm-hmm. working? How are you sleeping?" Um, so I think really knowing that you can't do this by yourself Mm -hmm. and that you have to kind of find your tribe. Yeah. And those, and then you have to find your tribe outposts, right? Mm -hmm. You can't get to your tribe, you know, where are those outposts where you can get those little doses of encouragement, especially Mm -hmm. when there's so much negativity telling you what you can't do or what you shouldn't try to do. Absolutely. Building that tribe or that family. So important. Um, Whether like you have wonderful supportive parents or family, or even if you don't, of course, you've got to find those people and, you know, who are positive and who help you be the best you. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes the negative people motivate you too. Sure. (laughs) Can't do. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove you wrong because I know that I've got it within me. But absolutely, you have confidence in yourself, but we all get, or at least I know I do, sometimes you feel a little discouraged or you feel overwhelmed. And again, that's Mm -hmm. where like having that tribe and having those supportive people. But I think also recognizing your responsibility to nurture those relationships too. Like you Mm -hmm. can't have a, you know, break glass in case of emergency, but remembering to nurture those relationships along the way because it makes you a better person too. Yeah, it absolutely does. Ah, you're so wise already. <laughs> it's called living. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep on living, baby. Just keep Fair. on living. So neonatology, am I saying that correctly? Neonatology. All right. Which um, I believe is mainly working with premature babies and sick babies. Uh, that must be really emotionally draining sometimes. So what gives you purpose? And when you have like an especially hard day or a really difficult case? You know, this question never gets any easier to answer. Mm -hmm. One, babies are amazing. Mm -hmm. Babies are literally our hearts walking outside of our bodies. They are our hopes, they are our dreams, they are our aspirations. And so as a physician, and I might get emotional talking about this, um, as physicians, as nurses, as respiratory therapists, social workers, like, you know, neonatology is very much a team-driven specialty. We all need each other to do this work. Mm-hmm. But you're just so compelled to that idea of life and that idea of the continuation of life and the idea that for so many parents, you know, this really is everything to them. And babies are little miracles. I mean, babies are born, like, I guess I'm around babies all the time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, they have personalities. Like they will tell you what they like and they don't like and like tell you. I'm like, no, they communicate. Um, You just have to learn to speak baby. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed. And then when we see 
our patients come back and visit us. A lot of NICUs, we have reunions where families can come back and you see patients and you're just amazed. Um, I love getting pictures and seeing how they flourish after they leave the NICU. And I think you hold on to those moments of joy and to those miracles. And that's what keeps you going in the difficult times. But mm -hmm. that being said, those difficult experiences, they never leave you. Like even in talking to you now, I can immediately just a few of those difficult cases just really come to mind. And even though we don't, or we can't grieve the way that a parent who's lost a child grieves, we still grieve and we yeah. don't forget. And that in and of itself becomes motivation. Like I never want another family to go through that again. What can we do better? What can we do differently? How can we ask new questions to make our treatment better? Mm -hmm. um, but, but absolutely, like I, the names of my patients, the way that parents cried when I had to give them bad news. Again, there's this balance of the positive that keeps you going because you don't despair, but mm -hmm. there's also the motivation of the negative of, I don't, I will do everything I can so that never happens again. And of course, understanding as people, you know, mm -hmm. We can never be perfect, but we can do perfect things. Mm -hmm. And especially when we work together as a team, it's like you're able to achieve so much more. And I will never have a day that I wake up and I'm ashamed of the fact that I help babies breathe better. I help mm -hmm. babies live. I help create holidays and memories for future years and generations to come. I mean, who wouldn't want that every day? Absolutely. That's beautiful. And all my patients have cute little pink toes and cute little baby pink toes are the best ever. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Um, I just met my little baby niece this Labor Day weekend. Oh, so cute. You could just eat her up. <laughs> yes. They really are amazing with the adorableness. And, I'll, and again, a lot of people are like, oh, but they're babies. They can't do anything. And I'm like, spend enough time with babies. Mm -hmm. And it's phenomenal. So uh, when you have these hard times or when you're working a lot, because I believe you're a professor as well as a doctor, correct? So I'm a faculty member and I'm an associate professor. Okay. I'm on my way to full professor, so that's on the horizon. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you speaking that into my life. I will accept that yeah. and receive it when that day comes. But yes, I, I hold a lot of different hats. Yes, very busy. And so what do you do to take care of your mental and emotional health and even your physical health after, you know, so much work that's so taxing in so many areas? I think, truthfully, the pandemic has made things a lot harder because mm -hmm. I really enjoy 
um, triathlons and not even just competing, but the idea of like swimming and cycling and running. I think first and foremost, I was a runner, um, but it's a lot more difficult now, um, you know, just doing all of those things. And over the years, I've kind of converted more to cycling, um, particularly indoor cycling. But the one thing that, and so like I said, the pandemic, everything just felt so overwhelming and a lot of my routines were really interrupted. But now I am taking that moment to kind of pause and be more intentional about prioritizing that. So I appreciate the question because it helps hold me accountable. <laughs> but I started back doing my yoga. Mm -hmm. Every single time I do a yoga session, I'm always like, why don't I do this more often? Because one of the most powerful things about yoga is not mm -hmm. bending yourself into some, you know, unimaginable pretzel, but right. it's act of breathing and how much breathing you have to do to have a strong yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And when you think about you take your body needs oxygen to nourish your organs and for everything to work well. So taking those deep breaths in, exhaling that carbon dioxide that we need to get rid of that's not good for us, having an hour where you're breathing, intentionally breathing, even separate from the poses, I feel better. Um, I'm excited about getting back to my cycling because I think that's something I can do and I don't have to worry about overrunning because a lot of times when I get stressed, I'd be like, oh, I'm just gonna go run five miles. And then my knee would be like, you know, you can't go from zero to five miles after not running for three months. Sure. So, I'm slowly, like I said, reincorporating my yoga, reincorporating my cycling. And once I get better with those, I'm looking forward to doing my running again. And then as we make it through this pandemic and the pools reopen, I'm very excited to start swimming because out of everything, swimming is such an incredible exercise. Mm -hmm. And at least for me, being able to really exercise and to have to do that breathing and to push myself physically makes my mental sharper because then I'm like, I know that I can focus and push myself a little harder to do something I couldn't do before. I can apply that same mindset to how I take care of patients, to how I do research, to how I advocate to and then just creating community sure right? mm -hmm. uh, those are some of the ways that i bring my self-care together i also have again my tribe mm -hmm. and we have been 100 percent consistent in meeting once a week for a zoom call where literally all we do is giggle and play games online there are some really fun games that you can mm -hmm. play online and every now and then we have that conversation about, you know what, my imposter syndrome really flared up this week. It's like, okay, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't thank them enough for being there for me and allowing me to be there for them. So those are the things that I do for self-care. Those are wonderful. 
I love that. I also love to swim and it's definitely been hard with the pandemic to have limited options. Yes. So in 2016, you wrote a fantastic article, uh, Seeing Past the Unicorns in Medicine, where you talk about being a black woman in the medical field. And it's definitely not all berries and cream. <laughs> Um, and I'm curious, what problematic patterns have you seen since then um, that have stayed the same over the course of your career? And what patterns have gotten either worse or better in relation to more equal treatment and opportunities from both employers and from patients? Well, I think that one multi-part question is probably an entire podcast. Probably. <laughs> it's interesting. Someone recently retweeted that article and tagged me. Oh. And I hadn't looked at the article in a while, but they pulled out a quote where just that idea of kind of seeing past where we are mm -hmm. and starting to normalize equity and normalize what it means to give people what they need and what it means to value everyone mm -hmm. and not to have mistreatment or dehumanization of groups of people because of whatever identity they may carry. And it was nice to see my words reflected back to me four years later with everything that's happened over the summer. Mm -hmm. I think in hearing the questions that you asked, I am very intentional about advocating for a more just and a more equitable healthcare system. Uh, community and society. Mm -hmm. One of my motivations is that when I talk to medical students or trainees and when they describe their experiences and they are so similar to the experiences that I had when I was going through my training, that motivates me to keep working. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things or one huge thing that's different and that's better is that we are having conversations that we never had when I was going through school and training. We have words and we have language to describe our experiences that are now entering into our discussions in medical schools and training programs and hospitals where that didn't happen in the past. Mm -hmm. I remember as a second year medical student, we had one lecture on domestic violence. And we understand how much of an issue that is in this country. And when I talk about domestic violence, I don't just mean intimate partner violence. I also mean elder abuse and child abuse and mm -hmm. so many ways in which violence continues to harm our society. But we had this one lecture on domestic violence and the professor used a clip from the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, where um, Lawrence Fishburne, who played Ike Turner, is viciously attacking Tina Turner, 
played by Angela Bassett. And I remember sitting there and feeling so uncomfortable because it was one of the very few times where Black people were highlighted and displayed in my medical school training. And they mm -hmm. were portrayed as violent. Mm -hmm. And an image being given to us of a violent Black man and how that very much was not my reality. I told you I'm a daddy's girl. You know, my brother and I are friends. My brother is an ordained minister. You know, so many of the men, black men that I went to school with are amazing fathers, you know, and would never mm -hmm. put their hands on a woman and would defend against anyone who did. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I recognize that we do have issues with domestic violence that need to be addressed. But I think sitting in the classroom that day and just knowing that would probably be the only time that we would talk about African-Americans was to pathologize them as violent. Mm -hmm. I was so uncomfortable. And I didn't know how to articulate that discomfort. I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know how to address it. But I think now we recognize how we need to change our curriculum mm -hmm. how the curriculum needs to be more inclusive if we talk about hiv the only cases we give to students shouldn't be of people that are gay mm -hmm. because truthfully that's not even completely reflective of how hiv is affecting our communities now so really thinking about some of the stereotypes and bias and prejudice and being intentional and deliberate about rooting those out, I think that is a positive change that I'm seeing. I think now we have more hospitals recognizing that we need protocols and strategies, how to respond to patients when they become abusive, mm -hmm. to staff, and that's all staff, physicians, nurses, secretaries, anyone who's involved in their care. Mm -hmm. So change is often difficult and often slow. There are the predictable kind of pushback against change and resistance to it, mm -hmm. but we persist. We continue and we continue to believe that everyone deserves to attain their best level of health. So there are things that remain problematic. The mistreatment remains, discrimination remains. But putting it out in the open and coming up with systems and policies and programs to address them, I'm encouraged. And so I will continue to advocate. That's wonderful. And um, what can we do? What can allies do? What can medical students do? What can um, professors do to help sort of change that mindset? Well, I think one, it's always about education mm -hmm. and it's always about critical thinking. One of the challenges is that we live in a world of memes, you know, and so many people take shortcuts to communication or so many people think the most effective way to communicate is to put someone down or to be snarky. Sure. But to tackle tough issues like these requires deep personal reflection. It requires an openness and a willingness to engage in uncomfortable dialogue 
And when I mean uncomfortable, I mean really uncomfortable. Things that you will be defensive and react and want to defend yourself instinctively, but being able to kind of sit with that discomfort and think about what's triggering it. And then I think committing to constantly working on those things. Mm -hmm. You don't just arrive at being an ally. You don't just arrive at being an um, an anti-racist. You don't just arrive at no longer being misogynistic. Mm -hmm. It's just like with yoga. It's an active daily practice, right? You don't just say, I did yoga, check the box, and I never have to do it again. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it simple, but it really is that simple. People think that, oh, once I get it, I've got it. But it's constantly working on it. Because even for me as someone who's very involved in diversity, equity, inclusion work, I discover new biases and attitudes that I'm like, oh, ooh, mm-hmm. I need to go somewhere and sit down and work on this. And, you know, being open to that, to it being a process and understanding it's exhausting mm-hmm. and it's frustrating and that sometimes you're going to make mistakes and being willing to say, I messed up. Sure. Okay. I'm going to do it better next time. And yeah, people may quote unquote, come at you for those mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, but again, resisting that urge to be defensive but at the same time, not wallowing in it. Like some people are like, okay, I'm just going to keep letting these people pile on be like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do better. And then just go do better. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, guilt doesn't serve any of us. It's really about positive action. Mm-hmm. That is really the key. But acknowledging it's hard. Yeah. I mean, there's so much pushing back against doing this type of work and being willing to continue to challenge the status quo and say, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of the change, no matter how difficult that may be. That's wonderful. Thank you. I know, well, um, I don't know personally, but I have heard a lot that Um, Often people in your position, um, black doctors or professors or things are often grilled on this kind of material, and I'm sure that can be fatiguing. So thank you for being willing to speak to it and give us some insight. One other thing about the education piece, Mm -hmm. I think really understanding how, and we're saying this a lot now, but what it means when things are systemic, mm-hmm. that institutions and structures are built to keep us from understanding how we're divided, mm-hmm. to keep us from, or to keep us holding on to fear and to feel like there's not enough for me, so I only have to look out for myself. And understanding how science and even medicine have been used to create these false notions of, you know, women as the weaker sex, 
you know, that, you know, Latinx people aren't full citizens of this country. Like, particularly, mm-hmm. I think about brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. Like, they yeah, have rights. Without the vote. And, and yes. we other them. And it's like, we have to educate ourselves when we see these things happening and understand where they're coming from and say, yes. Mm-hmm. Things that happened years ago are still affecting us today. Slavery still affects us today. Segregation still affects us today. The Holocaust still affects us today. These may be historical, but they still, and if we can't acknowledge how history affects us, then we are susceptible to not understanding why we react the way we react when we see certain news headlines or why people even say some of the things that they say because Mm -hmm. that's what they've been taught that's what's been normalized and what we're talking about is normalizing inclusivity not normalizing individualism Mm -hmm. so it's inclusivity over individualism absolutely So to wrap up, if you could go back to yourself, you know, starting out college or your career and give some advice, what would you say to yourself? Be bold. Be bold. I love it. But I would say also the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. I think about organizations like the Association of Black Women Physicians and how that organization has endured for almost 40 years. So then the other thing I would say is be a part of the process for Mm -hmm. giving back. You know, we all have to link hands, come together, support each other, both within and between our tribes. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Um, Would you like to discuss briefly Um, the Association for Black Women Physicians or other work that you are doing? You know, it's interesting, right? I think that there are certain unique identities we have as we walk through the world. Mm -hmm. And so to say that they don't exist at all because all is the same is inaccurate. When you think about this tapestry of life, no one wants just one color. Like, no, I don't know. I don't want to eat vanilla ice cream every day. I mean, I probably shouldn't mm-hmm. eat ice cream every day anyway, but if I want to eat ice cream, I want a little variety in my life. Sure. And never kind of like perfect who we are and our unique contributions, then how can we really enrich that tapestry of life? And so celebrating your unique identities, but recognizing how they come together to make our entire community and society better as a whole is what motivates me. And it's what I love about the Association of Black Women Physicians. As an organization, we support Black women in medicine. We support the students that are coming after us in medicine. Mm -hmm. We support public health for our communities. We believe that there is justice in achieving health equity. And we partner with other organizations. There's a phenomenal nonprofit that helps 
students that are interested in science and engineering and the arts. Mm -hmm. And you can do things like, suppose you want to, you know, being in Los Angeles, you want to grow up and become a stunt person. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of science and math and engineering involved in that. And just really like making those beautiful connections while still staying true to who you are. I mean, that's one of the things that I admire most about this organization. And I admire similar organizations doing that type of work. Mm -hmm. And I think they're essential. It's, it's so critical to have some place that's safe and welcoming as you're going out into the world and dealing with a lot of the negativity that we touched on as well. Because mm -hmm. you want to continue to affirm who you are, why you're here, why you belong, and how you can continue to make a positive difference. Muriel Petioni was born in 1917 in Trinidad. As a young child, her father was exiled from the country as he opposed the colonial government, and so he moved to Harlem, New York City. Muriel and the rest of her family moved to be with him as soon as they could save the money for the long voyage. In New York, Muriel's father worked hard to become a doctor at the age of 40 setting an example Muriel would emulate in her own life. Muriel's father ran his medical practice from the bottom floor of the family home, and Muriel often worked as his young secretary. From this early age, Muriel's love of medicine and healing began to grow. As Muriel grew up, she worked hard in school and was accepted into Howard University. She graduated in 1934 and three years later graduated with her medical degree, the only woman in her class, and interned at Harlem Hospital. In 1942, Muriel married Tuskegee Airman Mal Woolfolk, and once World War II ended, they had their only child, Charles. Muriel put her medical practice on hold to focus on raising her young child, and in 1947, Muriel set up shop again. Unlike her father before her, Muriel built her practice on the ground floor of her home. In the 1950s, Muriel was among the first generation of black doctors to be given staff rights at Harlem Hospital. Not only was Muriel a well-known physical healer, she was also an activist seeking to bring healing and equality to her community. In addition to running her own business, Muriel later became a teaching physician and founded several important organizations, including the Friends of Harlem Hospital, the Susan Smith McKinney Stewart Medical Society for Women in 1974, a professional association for African-American women doctors in the greater New York area, and the Medical Women of the National Medical Association, founded in 1976, which later became the Council of Women's Concerns of the National Medical Association. Working with the coalition of 100 Black women, Dr. Petioni also developed a mentorship program to guide young African-American women into careers in science and medicine. And she served as president of the Society of Black Women Physicians. Wow. Muriel has received many awards for her leadership and hard work. She was awarded the Howard University College of Medicine Outstanding Alumni Award in 1992 and the 1999 Frederick Douglass Award. 
In 2007, she was awarded the Bernard College Medal of Distinction. Muriel died in 2011, which was not very long ago. This incredible woman moved to Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance as a child and was surrounded by an incredible culture of black artists, writers, musicians, business owners, and she grew up to become a leader in Harlem herself. She became one of the first notable black female doctors in the United States, pioneered black women pursuing STEM careers, lived through the civil rights movement, and was affectionately known as the matron of Harlem Health. We all benefit from Dr. Petioni's legacy today as she encouraged so many young black women to go into medicine, bringing a new level of excellence and diversity to the entire profession. We all benefit from better doctors, but importantly, as people of color have a difficult history with medical professionals due to abuse, Muriel was one of a wave of black doctors who were able to provide high quality care to black patients while still understanding and accepting culture, history, fear, and stigma. So thank you, Dr. Muriel Petoni. Witches, Let's Talk Shop, the magical of witches and women's shop, of course. If you haven't explored the website yet, you need to. Ofwitchesandwomen.com has a great little shop full of merch from witchy teas and tanks to stickers, posters, mugs, and more. You can even get a witches familiar collar tag for your fur baby or a witchling onesie for your human baby in the shop. So go exploring today at ofwitchesandwomen.com. The website also has tons of great resources like show notes for each episode in the Lamia Library, the Grimrar Gallery full of stunning artwork by contemporary artists, and of course on every page of the Of Witches and Women website, you can subscribe to the Oracle newsletter at the bottom of the page and get access to even more obscure stories, artist biographies, and exclusive podcast content. Of course, remember that this season, as my little contribution to the pandemic madness, the proceeds from all the Witches Made Medicine merch will be donated to a healthcare organization that we will choose together later on in the season. So visit ofwitchesandwomen.com today and get your Witches Made Medicine merch starting at just $3.50 for those stickers. For today's spell of empowerment, light a white candle and recite, clear flame burning ever bright, touch my soul with strength and might, for in myself my soul to heal, and as I grow, others must deal. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, my witches. Be sure you and the squad are subscribed to Of Witches and Women on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And please write me a magical review on your podcast app of choice so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Thanks for listening and sharing. You make my days far more magical as I research and write these incredible stories. 
Reach out and connect with me in the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content, podcast merchandise, and to subscribe to The Oracle. Stay fierce, witches. I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.